0: It's time to hit the brakes. Welcome to Swerve South. Everyone, welcome. I'm Jamie Harker. I'm director of the Sarah Isom Center for Women and Gender Studies, and I'm here with my co-conspirator, Teresa Starkey.
1: Uh, The associate director of the Sarah Isom Center. And I like thank you for using co-conspirator. I appreciate that.
0: We want to get the honesty out first, right? This is our work.
1: Yes, yes. And we're here
0: introducing our brand new Isom Center podcast called Swerve South. What we thought we would do today is talk a little bit about our goals for the podcast, the meaning of the title, a little bit of our own investment in this, and kind of get you all excited about the journey we're hoping to go on. At least we're we're planning this. If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share it and listen to it. We'd really like to get a lot of voices in this. So first let's start with the title swerve cell one of the things we were thinking about is the multiple meanings of swerve or swerving Um, one is to turn aside abruptly or deviate suddenly from the straight or direct course I think that's an accurate depiction of our podcast this is (laughs) going to go forward often swerving off suddenly Uh, one of the origins is from the Dutch to rove and that's something else we really want to think about a broad range of cultural phenomena of visitors of people Um, But also we got really interested in the kind of pop culture meanings of swerve or swerving. My students are going to be laughing hysterically in a moment when they hear me try to explain this. Um, But one of them is this idea of you swerve on somebody or away from somebody, this idea of attraction. Um, And this question of desire and sexuality and gender is very much part of what gender studies does. And we want to think about those issues as well. Um, there's also the idea of swerving as a beautiful woman, and this idea of attraction that I think is part of that. You're so swerve. You're so, you you can use it but in a sense. I think this
1: song is about you. Here. <laughs> um,
0: and so there's a lot of those ideas of transgression in terms of swerving. It can relate to you know being drunk and other issues, which we were joking at the University of Mississippi with its reputation as a party school, maybe relevant. But for us, Swerve South is really thinking about going off the beaten path and off what's seen as the mainstream or the norm and exploring these other kinds of spaces. And that's what, for us, gender studies does so well, is take a certain lens and make us see the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, the south part of it, though, has everything to do with our location in the deep south, in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, and one of the things we were talking about before we came to record today were all the different kinds of souths there are that aren't always visible or rarely visible in mainstream media. Um, So the South that we inhabit uh, is a radical South. It's a rebellious South. um, It's sometimes a feminist South or a queer South. It's got a lot of valences and um, manifestations that are sometimes invisible to folks. So when they say things to us like, how did you sponsor a conference on envisioning a feminist and queer South? We'll say, because that's the space we live in. So we're really interested in the ways that spaces intersect and multiply. We're interested in making visible this larger notion of radical or different cells. And we really want to celebrate that self, that multiple kinds of radical and different cells that we inhabit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I think it's interesting when if we think about the, the, the word swerve, right, and its different meanings, and I think that... Um, I think this would speak to us both on a personal level, right? How we, how did we get to where we are in the thing or the job that we do? Spending our lives swerving, right? Swerving, swerving, um, you know, in our youth, it, which I may talk about. Swerving in our academic discipline, right? Finding ways in which it's accessible, right? To kind of swerve or to cross boundaries and to think about things um, and not feel hindered, and so to speak, that be able to have that kind of latitude and sort of freedom, or find those spaces, right, where you can study and um, think about things that maybe, right, certain disciplines make you feel hemmed in. Finding your space as a scholar, I guess that's it, right, swerving in different directions as we try, right, to answer some sort of question, right, that's pertinent to us.
0: I really like that idea, because when you swerve, you're crossing a boundary or a line or a place you're supposed to stay inside. Sometimes you're swerving away from danger and sometimes toward it intentionally. I Mm -hmm. think both those things happen, certainly in gender studies scholarship, but also with the kind of work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you cross boundaries? How do you um, bring these different selves together in productive intersections? How do you create spaces that are diverse and multiple Mm -hmm. um, and allow for different kinds of not only realities, but really imaginaries Mm -hmm. right? as we move forward. Um, So that for us, I think, is part of what we're interested in, what we want to look at in this show. Um, We're going to be doing everything from kind of sub-themes of pop culture, Gen X to Gen Z we've talked a lot about, queer cells, radical cells, feminist cells, multicultural cells. Um, But we also want to think about you know, people coming to see us, people who are creating interesting spaces. And and so we're going to try to talk to visitors who come here and folks who are already in the South and and doing a kind of swerve in their work. So one of the things we thought we would start with is to talk about our own experiences within and among this swerving or swerved South. Um, So if we may, let's start with you, Teresa, and you can talk a little bit about your role as, unlike me, you're a native Southerner. I am. Um, but your South is a different South than probably a lot of other folks might imagine. Yeah, so let's just start
1: there. Yeah. Uh, um, wow. I, this is functioning as a confessional space for me right now. We're in a booth. I'm that sorry, feels I mean, that's right. True, yes. Uh, and that also makes me think of being in the South, and this is my moment to perhaps testify. Uh, I grew up in uh, North Georgia, um, Canton-Cartersville area, foothill of North Georgia mountains, and raised Southern Baptists. Uh, sometimes I think about I was raised in raised Southern Baptist, but maybe I spent a lot of my life uh, swerving from it later. And then also maybe even swerving from the small town that I came from, right? Re- but only to later recognize, right, it's always with me. Um, but yeah, running, running from that small town, but also at a certain point in time in high school, right? Running and swerving with other Southern kids who would pack into a car on the weekend and drive maybe an hour or an hour and a half to Atlanta in the late, you know, mid-80s uh to go to little five points which was this sort of intersectional space for us um a place where there was music there was art there were things that our southern town right didn't offer and um it was a, it was, a, I think of it as perhaps like this kind of like rebellious space for us that we were able to slip in on the weekend and then slip out, right? And then I would end up later moving there and um, when I was in high school living there and working on my own. So that's another kind of swerve I did, right? Swerving and dropping out of my um, my family unit, so to speak, right? And then move into the city and um, occupying that space late 80s early 90s it's very much a queer south that i occupied when i moved there finishing high school it's a moment where there are all these things that are happening it's the tail end of say rupaul it's right around when he was doing star booty and um, so there's queer and there's avant garde there's um, athens not far away so there's all of this sort of like art and culture and music And that very much sort of, like, um, impacted me in terms of thinking about, right, swerving or crossing these sort of boundaries. And in that context, it's very much thinking about crossing boundaries and doing things as a young woman that I'm not supposed to do, right, like becoming the independent woman and then maybe realizing that I didn't really have an idea of what independence was until I was, you know, in it. But um, also considering that, uh, that that was a moment that would sort of shape and define me and that there was a lot of sort of... Aesthetic swerving happening, and I recognize that now as I look back at it. But at a time, I didn't know that perhaps I was part of like a social and art movement that was taking place. Um. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's all I got right now. And then, then,
0: then more. There's lots more to talk about with that, and I would love to go back and explore a little bit sure. all that was happening in Atlanta at that time. Mm-hmm. That I love. You were showing me this on YouTube that you have RuPaul on Access. Cable channels mm-hmm. in Atlanta. and I don't think anyone at the time could have imagined that there would be a RuPaul's Drag Race so mainstream. Mm-hmm. It was seen as very marginal, mm-hmm. and creating those spaces. And you know, you've talked a lot about Cabbage Town and the punk bands who lived there, and and mm-hmm. the ways that that was inhabiting another alternative avant-garde cell. Could you talk a little bit about the transition when you swerved back into the university and into a PhD program? Because sure. that's a really interesting story.
1: Um. Well, I f- for me. I was an undergrad, and I went to the concrete campus at Georgia State, and there I did um, history and film studies, but I was lucky enough to find um, a teacher who was in history who made me um, aware of interdisciplinary studies, and so that sort of opened this pathway for me, and so I... um Wanted to explore that. I'd actually, I have to have a little caveat. Before going to graduate school, I worked for an attorney, and I worked in um, his field was bankruptcy, and we didn't really work and uh, protect the debtor, right? We were more uh, focusing on the on um, the the corporate identity, and so he was really nice and always tried to be fair, but I realized that that's not the career path that I wanted to. Take, I often found myself taking really long smoke breaks, right, and dressed in, um, you know, maybe floral prints that I wouldn't necessarily wear or choose, but it seemed like office wear. And so I wanted to go back and be that professional student. And so that's when um, I was applying to different graduate schools, and I realized that there was one in my own backyard at Emory that offered an interdisciplinary program in American Studies. And so that's how I found my way into that program and specifically thinking about who I wanted to work with there and that opened up a whole new world um, for me also thinking about crossing in this context, right, all of these different academic um, boundaries, exploring different disciplines and thinking about the kinds of questions as a scholar I could ask and having the availability to be able to do that by being in this space. So that was, yeah, so, so, so I found another place, right, where I could swerve. And then and this one very much encouraged to do so, um, which was great. Well, let's pause there, and
0: then we'll catch up, because we're getting close to when you and I were able to meet. So for me, I grew up on the West Coast in a devout Mormon family, pretty, pretty much as far away from the South as you could mm-hmm. get, right, in that moment. Um, the swerve that happened in my family was when my father took a job at Emory, Uh, Mm -hmm. in the medical school this was in 1989 so just uh, as I was graduating from college Um, and that was the first time I had ever really spent any time in the south now whether Atlanta counts as the south is up for debate among a lot of people from rural spaces but Mm -hmm. as you were just talking about it has always been a place even if you're in a small town that you're going to that it Mm -hmm. becomes a kind of escape hatch so for me too when I would visit them there and I um, would come back from graduate school, I would get this vision of this different South. They lived not far from Little Five Points, which mm-hmm. is very funny, because that they were not Little Five Points people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was. I went shopping with my mother one time in Little Five Points at a shoe store, um and was then it Abba I think so. Because I was definitely this is this is going to mark me as an up-and-coming baby dyke. I was getting Birkenstock sandals, of course, because that's what you had to do in the early nineties. And there was a bookstore next door, and so we said, Oh, let's go in, and I popped my head in there, and there were crystals, and there were there were Niad Press paperback mm. books over here, and there were bumper stickers. And I looked around and I said, Yes, I have found the feminist bookstore, right? You just had these symbols, and it was Karis Books and More. Um, that was before they were in that smaller space in a storefront, and then they moved into the house on the next block, and they've just recently moved again. Um, but it was this little store, and I wandered in by accident with my Mormon mother in tow. And when we left, she said, that was... Interesting, and I said, "Mom, it's a feminist bookstore," as if I knew a lot about it. She said, "Really," but she she knew it was different. Um, and so for me, that was one of those explorations of we're close to this really interesting neighborhood that I find out later was a center of of lesbian culture. There, um, the Atlanta Lesbian Feminist Collective House was not too far from there. There's still a lot of lesbian feminists who live in that neighborhood. Um, There are still lesbian feminists who don't let men in their houses in that neighborhood, by the way, which I was surprised to learn. Um, But that was this other space um, right there that I had access to when I would visit. Um, And I would sometimes go to the gay-friendly churches around there and... I remember one time there was a woman announcing she was going to be giving a sermon on the lesbian Jesus, and I thought, this is excellent. I'm going to, have to come back and hear this. <laughs> I was not getting that when I was a student at Brigham Young University, let's put it that way. Um, so that was that first encounter in space, and it was Atlanta, even though for me it was almost like I got to, had to sneak away from my parents to get to see some of that in Little Five Points. I may have seen you out there with the tough kids on the corner. I don't know. Yeah, and we weren't out.
1: alone. There were a lot, of people, a lot of kids sneaking away from their parents. Absolutely. Um, to get um, there.
0: And so then the next swerve was I got a PhD, and I had a campus visit at the University of Mississippi um, and came down south and found this kinship here that I hadn't expected. I really liked it. I felt comfortable with it, and I thought, I'm going to take this plunge. I'm going to move down here. Um, and that became this, this other swerve in 2003 uh, when I started here in, as an assistant professor in the English department. And we met not too long after that because right. I think that was I – I don't want to speak for you, but, but your husband, Jack Pendarvis was here as a Grisham writer mm-hmm. for a year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you were working on your dissertation, and we put together a writing group. Right. And it was you and me and one of my Casey dissertation Tillman. students. Yeah, Casey Tillman, who's now at the University of Tampa. And that was a great writing group. and we were I was working on a book on Christopher Isherwood, and you work on your dissertation, and Casey was working on hers. And we really met and, and bonded then. Not knowing that years later we'd have another chance to raise hell together. Which That's Which right. we really liked. That's right. So you ended up liking it and staying and doing some teaching around here. And I continued to plod along in my tenure, quest toward tenure and promotion. Um, and then you got a job as the assistant director. I That's think, right. Of the Sarah Isom Center. Which was great. And then a couple of years later the director was going on sabbatical and they asked me to step in mm-hmm. for a year. And then we started... And here we are. (laughs) So one of the things we, so we had never really worked together in that capacity before, but one of the things we really talked about was at the time, the Isom Center had been moved from its permanent location. I'm using quotations if you could see me here for renovation and put in temporary digs in the basement of the Lyceum where it was not accessible. There wasn't a sign. There's lots of symbolism in this we can talk about. And after it was moved out, the university said, yeah, we're not moving you back to that space. We've decided it's more important to have a bigger bathroom and a bigger ballroom. And they had, no one had any plan for having a permanent space. So we were quite literally invisible in the basement. And one of the things we talked about was we've got to get out of this basement, like speaking of space, and get visible and get out in the community and get people to remember we're here and to see what we're doing. So we really consciously said we want to swerve out of this very traditional academic way of being in the university and start being in the community and being on campus in different ways. Um, So that's really where our vision came from and we started doing a lot of work creating inclusive spaces, bringing in unexpected speakers. And I think the first triumph that I always want to talk about is you getting John Waters to come to Oxford. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, well,
1: that was... Well, um, that was at first a seemingly pipe dream, right, and kind of long shot, but I think um, it speaks to the idea of what happens if you take a chance, what happens if you roll the dice, right? You don't know unless you do something, and so um, I didn't know how to reach him and or go to his management had no sort of contact that way, but I had been doing some surfing. I don't know if that's what the kids call the day, like doing the internet, or doing the internet. Gosh, gosh oh, what a geriatric. But thinking the World the, Wide the, Web. Uh, yeah, let's or, go back or, or, the, or, the, or the Twitter. But um, thinking about, you know, well, how, 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 how can I make contact? And I had read somewhere that he still picks up his mail at uh, an independent bookstore. And um, so... I thought, whoa, it's in it's close to his neighborhood, he walks there, right, in Baltimore, so uh, I wrote him a letter, and um, was, you know, thought it would be really great if you would come here, there's uh, so much of an opportunity, it would be a great space for our students, and so yeah, writing that letter, and then getting the phone call from his assistant, and almost falling out of my chair, but... Yeah, so I think the idea of you never know until you ask and that there are people out there, right, willing to take, willing, right, to make that journey and to come, right. And so that's, yeah, I think that that is sort of like that thinking about how can we create this space and who can help us.
0: Right. And when you swerve out of the expected. Yeah,
1: when you swerve. swerve.
0: Because the traditional way is you keep sending memos to your dean asking for money. They keep writing back saying we don't have anything and you do that until you retire. I mean, that's like the... You're in your lane. Yeah. But when you made that leap, and he was so excited yeah. and really worked it out. Like, I'm on this tour. I will, if you drive me up from New Orleans, I'll do a show there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fly me back. And there were all these rules. But he gave us a break, even though for us it was a lot of money for him. Yeah, it, was, I mean, a, we, it was a break we, on we, his we feet. We
1: also learned right, how to start hustling then with the collection plate. And uh, so, yeah, what it means to sort of fundraise and to raise money to make it happen, even if we are getting a generous break on it, but also thinking about the idea too that that his generosity is the fact that he rode from New Orleans with Ron Ron Shapiro, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, but rode from New Orleans. Right? Just uh, he wasn't looking for the the ride to ride in luxury. Um, so yeah. 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 you
0: know he was he was doing that tour, of this Filthy World, and people were paying fifty to a hundred bucks for tickets, and he he talked for free at Oxford, Mississippi.
1: Yeah, and he met know. with students, and he didn't have to, and um. And yeah. do the same
0: thing when you invited Nico Case to come yeah. for the first Starfest right? And wrote a letter, and yeah, she agreed to come. So this is one of the things that we found when you take chances and you step outside and you just try things. Some of that's going to work, and some isn't, but we it's very experimental, so we'll throw things against the wall, see what sticks and keep going with it. And that's that's I think that's very much, I think of a piece with gender studies as a field where it was really kind of created on the fly and very experimental and thinking about what happens when you step out of the ruled, the boundary gendered spaces and think about how they how they evolve. So for us, that's how that's the work we do, and we wanted to kind of have a podcast that reflects that. It gives a a taste of the kind of work we do, but also the kinds of interesting, miscegenated, complicated spaces, the intersections that we inhabit and that we encourage. Um, So that's Swerve South, and that's a journey we hope you're going to want to come on with us. We'll try not to get accidents on the way, but we may end up in the ditch <laughs> or occasionally run around. But that's going to be part of the fun of the journey. There's nothing so we... wrong
1: with ending up in the ditch as long as you have somebody there to help pull you out. And what do they call Oxford, right? The Other Velvet the ditch. ditch, right? So if you're going to roll around, what better piece of fabric?
0: Come with us to the Velvet Ditch and hang out in the feminist and queer cells. So we'll hope you come back and join us. Uh, we'll end here. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Jamie. <laughs>
0: Swerve South!
1: Hey, hey, hey! Swerve South is a production of the Sarah Isom Center for Women and Gender Studies with support from the Southern Documentary Project Music and Engineering by Tyler Keith.